everybody, and welcome to episode three of the Core 4 podcast. We're checking in after three Yankees spring training games, an opening loss to the Boston Red Sox, 8-5, a win against the Tampa Bay Rays, also 8-5, and a 3-0 victory over the Toronto Blue Jays uh, just yesterday. Today's game against the Philadelphia Phillies was unfortunately rained out, but fortunately for you Yankees fans, we have a brand new podcast talking about Luis Severino's extension, Aaron Hicks's extension, and a preview of what's to come uh, for the Yankees, as well as our brand new segment where we take uh, calls and direct messages uh, from our listeners. So we have plenty to talk about. Uh, we're very excited to get into it. Now. Mm-hmm. So let's start with the Severino extension. It came kind of out of nowhere. The Yankees are known as, as a file and trial team um, where they don't negotiate much past um, figuring out where um, the team wants to go and where the player wants to go. And it started to leak out that they were talking about an extension in an interesting period right after the announcement of Aaron Nola's extension with the Phillies and then moving into that last sort of day. And as the story came together, it was, um, I think it was some ridiculously short period of time before the Yankees and Severino were actually set to go to trial. They came to terms on their extension, um, which it's interesting to start, um, because, um, first of all, it's very front loaded. Um, and it's been said that that's to, um, give Severino some protection in case there is a work stoppage coming up. Um, he got a little less, um, money than, uh, Nola did, and Nola which is surprising also, considering he's younger, and I think, I mean, just better. I don't Nola think had right. a great. Well, Nola had a great year last year, but he's a little but bit. It's older. tough to say. I, I, I don't know because there's no like consistency of him yet. I mean, either yeah. way, it's just heel of a contract. I mean, an absolute <laughs> just. Just a steal. Oh yeah. Yeah, and you look at the Dodgers paying playing Kershaw what fucking thirty one million dollars a year to. I mean, at this point, be out indefinitely. Granted, it's playing Kershaw, but yeah, I mean, let the man ride out on his horse, and he's already you know he defamed himself a little bit in the postseason yet again. But uh, he's kind of he's not even that old though, and that's just like I mean, that's just the sad part. He's what thirty two. I don't even know. But I really feel like he's like fifty, but. Oh, he's, he's been around for like a while. That, that fastball eighty-eight. Clayton Kershaw is. Um, he's an only old. thirty years I, old. I saw he's. I saw he's like Buster only tweeted today. Sense. Yeah, Buster only tweeted today. Over like the last thirty years or something, uh, something about pitchers that have pitched the most innings, uh, regular season and postseason combined. Since I don't remember the time frame, but it was CC first, Felix Hernandez uh, second, and Clayton Kershaw third. Yeah, all those guys' arms are. And you think about how much older CC and Felix are then. Yeah, that. So here, most innings at most innings through age thirty season in the last thirty years, regular season slash postseason combined, which is. I think talking about Kershaw's age and it was CC at about 2,400 Hernandez at about 2,400, a little bit less. And then Kershaw at 2,200 and a half. Ridiculous considering just that like age gap. And so like, like like, that's also considering that Felix Hernandez has never pitched in a playoff game. Correct. Yeah. He's got fewer innings on his arm than any of them because he's, you know, they completely wasted his window of um, being a viable starter in Seattle. He should be their closer. That's my team is. 
He should be the closer. That's just my uh, my opinion. Just you think Fields and Sanders should be their closer? What? No one right now. God knows it'll be. But no, it's uh, probably like Hutter Strickland or something like that. Oh, I forgot I he signed is Strickland. Oh, until he punches another door and is out for another six months. Yeah. But yeah, that help his cause. Luis Severino, the guy on the Yankees. <laughs> we were talking about. Um, I love it. I mean, ten million, ten million dollars a year for. Okay, well, ten million dollars a year for second half Sevy is highway robbery for him. Ten million dollars a year for first half Sevy is highway robbery for the Yankees. So, I think it creates a good situation for both the player and the team. I know um, Brian Cashman said that it, it worked out well um, from the perspective of they said Severino was a guy that they wanted to bet on. They looked at him and saw what happened in the first half, and I think they learned from what happened in the second half to the point where the the ability of him to dominate like he did in the first half is so realistic in their opinion that he was worth giving the guaranteed money to rather than just, you know, letting him kick the can down the road every year for arbitration. And I think it's smart in that regard because they think the second half was a fluke. Severino himself said that he fatigued and that he changed some of his off season work in order to, um, prevent something like that from happening again. And I think that that's going to play to the Yankees advantage and to Severino just in in and of himself, because he'll be more confident. He'll have better results and that will result in, um, a stronger relationship between Severino and the Yankees and, um, the results will will show it on the field. Yeah, and you have I'm to think. Didn't he like change his diet throughout the offseason too? I think he, I said, yeah. he said he like cut More out fried, fried food, food and stuff. He's like, he not donuts anymore and stuff like that. And you also have to figure he that. It, he said. Yeah, and you you also have to figure that a full season, ideally, of a healthy and you know himself, Gary Sanchez, will be of great service to somebody like Luis Severino, who thrives belonging to Gary. And I'm sure it's much more no, comfortable with Gary than. No. Well, no, no, I mean, never. He's the best. I think what it'll give him, though, I think those are both guys who are. Um, their confidence is very important um, to their success on the field. I think they sort of both feed off of each other because you've seen those guys when they're struggling and you'll, you've seen Severino attempt to throw his fastball through a brick wall. He'll try yeah. to throw it 200 miles per hour and then he ends up yanking it or grooving it and bad things happen. But when he knows that he has his three pitches and can throw them effectively, there's nothing, there's no hitter really that can can dig in there and be confident in their ability to say, I'm going to hit the ball hard. And, and I, that's I something really... that, that first half really showed because he was that pitcher who... Mm. You know, fastball slider changeup. He knew he could throw each one of them. Yeah. I haven't really ventured too much into this thought, but like, besides just that comment I made just a minute ago, but like, how much do we think we could contribute Severino's like mentality and that struggles to the absence of like the Gary Sanchez that we once knew? Because they See, are such good friends and they are such like, they are, you know, the battery of the Yankees, I guess. And I don't think. That's fair. He's Hetty was essentially like injured. I mean, like he was um, oh, Gary? um tired or Sevy. No, um, 
um, um, heavy. He said, oh, yeah. you know, like his arm was all not right. He, I'm, so I think in like an extent it does, but like, I don't know. I don't think it should um, be like overplayed in that yeah, like, I think aspect it's a secondary of it. factor. Yeah, yeah I mean, I don't think it's the, the driving he know, wasn't force right. or anything, but I think it, it should be. It shouldn't be overlooked, I guess. Maybe the impact oh, no. that Gary and Sebi have on each other, and they have a few, very like mutual relationship. I feel, you know, with no, the natures of the that. positions and with them being such good friends and having to be on the same page at all times. With either one of them out of whack, I feel it could kind of like mess. I don't know. Maybe I'm. Yeah, I don't know. No, I think it's like a point, but I will point it like I don't know. I will point it like overstate that as like an issue that much. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think the real issue becomes um, how do you quantify the effect that the catcher may or may not have on it? I think it's very easy to say that um, there's a certain confidence. It's, it's not really measurable. You can't really look at um, the performance and, and know what's going on. So uh, it's important as we discuss the the Severino contract to know sort of the the framework of it. So he, for this year, he earns $4 million along with a $2 million signing bonus. Then in 2020, he jumps all the way up to $10 million. Modest raise in 2021 to $10.25 million, uh, then goes to $11 million in 2022. And then this is the... Um, the sort of the, the bonus for the Yankees, his first free agent year, which I believe would be his age 30 season, 2023, the team holds a club option where they can either keep him for $15 million or buy him out for just under $3 million. And uh, that's something that they will, of course, a decision that they make down the road, but I think it shows that they are, are putting great stock into what they think Severino can do for the team by giving themselves that, um, mm. that ability to keep going. And it's different from Aaron Nola's deal because I believe Aaron Nola's deal actually allowed the Phillies to buy out his first, um, season for sure. Um, his first free agent year, uh, is a guaranteed year for the Phillies. And then the second year is actually a club option. So that's an interesting sort of combination of betting on himself and betting on the team uh, to be uh, where they want to be at that point. So JP, let me ask you, who would you rather put your stake in if you're a general manager, given age, given performance in the past, given prospect of the future contract, all that stuff, who, who would you rather put your stake in? For the next four to five to six years between Aaron Nola and um, Luis Severino? I think I think if you look at at Nola, he had he's had an extra year to grow. He he debuted. Um he had a full year in 2015 and a full year in 2016. Whereas Severino, for example, um came up late in 2015. <laughs> Um, then had that awful year in 2016 where he had an ERA over five and they had him pitching out of the bullpen. And there was this idea that, um, 
he was gonna become Domingo Herman. He was gonna turn, yeah. Well, he was gonna turn into that, or or a more successful version of that. Right now, at least if you look at it, would be um, the Dellen Batanzas transition from starter to um, you know dominant reliever. But they, I mean, his 2017 and you know it carried into the first half of 2018. Um, statistically, it's it's almost dead on to what uh, Nola has done. Um, Nola, I think, benefits from a much weaker NL East and um, the lack of a designated hitter, although that's starting to even itself out. Of, uh, oh, I hate play. Fucking National League pitchers get literally a free out every two innings. It's ridiculous. It's and then, you know, so we have fun. we have goofballs like fucking Noah Syndergaard on Twitter yelling about, oh, my God, no, no DH, no DH. Oh, it's so fun. I love it. To pitch. Yeah. Meanwhile, meanwhile, he is like in the upper echelon of pitchers that, like, in terms of hitting. Oh, and God. he hits like 175 in his career. And he's in the upper echelon. I, I wonder what it like how stark the difference would be in comparing the averages, like the, the slash lines of DHs in the American League and pitchers in the National League. Oh my oh, God. It's tremendously different. It's I that oh and then we have these people on Twitter. I don't know, like I don't know where they get off really. Like oh you know uh, Universal no DH all this shit. Oh, why why what, the the game. what kind of benefits no do you get from that? What do you, that? So, what do you it's enjoy so stupid about watching some fat slob or some guy who hasn't swung a bat since high school go up against the likes of Clayton Kershaw and Aaron Nola and and hack at nothing? It's so stupid. Them. It's so stupid considering like the whole like everyone's so infatuated with Bartolo Colon because you look at him, he's like oh this, my God, this that huge man. Bartolo, that no, the, the whole, the whole no, I want to go into this because Bar- <laughs> the whole Bartolo like situation absolutely infuriates me. The man is a is. Everyone loves him. He's actually kind of a terrible person. Dude has a secret oh, life. God, yeah. With a secret he's family. Like family. Yeah, he's yeah, he's not good like, either, but that's it. I mean, I mean, like he used to be good because of, because of steroids, because he took steroids yeah, and shit like suspended. that. But like, and he's ugly. I mean, he's awful. To, I can't stand looking at the guy. <laughs> like, I remember it was last year. It was against bad James Shields. I mean, come on. I could hit a home run against the Padres. Like last year when he, he had that game against, that I, I don't know, I, what was it against Cleveland last year when he was pitching and he went in like eight innings, no hit. Or that, was like that. that was Houston. That was Houston. Houston. Yeah, Houston. I remember it was a good team. And he was going off and everyone on Twitter is acting like like we just landed on the fucking moon for the first time. I was like, oh, breaking <laughs> news. Fat slob pitches an okay game. Wow, let's stop the fucking world from turning. Yeah. I mean, like a dude's going to be pitching eight innings, like one hit. Like that's okay, but he's only going to do that once every three years oh. maybe. Maybe yeah, and they lost it, the game it, too. Yeah, um, yeah, they ended up I'm losing the game sure. because of the Texas Rangers, and then he probably went home for fucking four hours of dialysis afterwards. <laughs> Jesus, and I, I wonder which home he went to. Which of the well, Toros never coming on the show? To. So that's great. <laughs> so yeah, the, there goes that idea. <laughs> I think. I think also with from the sense of of. Um, free agency also is that the DH in the National League would create 15 more jobs. I mean, if you... The, the pitchers are the, the pitchers are still going to be there, but oh my you, god! Oh the strategy! Oh my god! The strategy! Oh yes, yeah, double so switches fun. are so enthralling. Oh the strategy! 
heading on base. I think that's a the good National League thinks they're so much cooler because they have a double they have a switch World and they get to do it. In like three years, they're f- they're fucking losers. Yeah, like, oh my god, I hate they the had whole a stretch where they couldn't even win an All Star game. Like, like. What was yeah, it like? A couple, like eight, nine years, something like that. It just feels it like stupid. they're like a, a fake league. It's just like they're playing to play. It essentially, the is. You know, it's it's the big boys in there. But it's all the oh, um, man. yeah. <laughs> Game of misfits over there in the National Bartolo? League. Is Bartolo still a free agent? He yeah, and I hope he doesn't agent. sign anywhere. Uh, yeah, I hope he doesn't sign it. Yeah, I hope he goes I, to China and, and pitches to Christian I hope he signs with the Sox. Do you want to know why? Oh, because, oh I'm not even going to. Because he'd be their closer. Never mind. I'm not even going to start that. But. Why? Because they would run him out of town? Oh, no, I'm not going to say that. But, you know, I don't think they'd uh, like him there. Well, yeah. Yeah, but... Um, we'll see. So we can move on from from trashing yeah. Bartolo Colon. I think yeah. we've 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 given the man enough grief because yeah, uh, I, oh I think I think he, he you either love Bartolo Colon or you're sick of hearing about him. And I think we're, we're firmly in the uh, latter. You either uh, here's the thing: you either love Bartolo Colon or you're capable of rational thought. I see no in between. <laughs> <laughs> Because that's another they, way like, to think of it, are, I guess. There are so many better teddy bears in the MLB that people could like, you know, gawk over. That oh my god, he's fat. He's so cute. G Man Choi. Let's make yeah. G Man Choi oh, the Dog teddy guy. bear that everybody G-Man loves. G Man Choi is not G-Man even Choi bad. Doesn't have a no, secret he's not family. G Man Choi didn't disgrace the game of baseball for God knows how many years. Oh, G Man Choi is actually half decent at his job. We don't know a lot maybe about we'll, him. Maybe, All maybe right, we'll I, find out who yeah. knows. That's but, enough on that. <laughs> Yeah, we are on a tangent. G-Man Choi played a couple games at first base for the New York Yankees. And one of the biggest concerns as we um, continue the spring slate is who who will be that guy who plays the most games at first base for the New York Yankees. And so far, we've seen two games um, from... Each of the two uh, main competitors for the first base job, of course, I am speaking about Greg Bird and Luke Voigt, uh, each has had a productive uh, start to their spring slate. And I think it'll be really, really intriguing to see how that competition comes together. Um, Greg Bird um, hitting hitting well, Luke Voigt launching that absolute bomb of a homer um, Sunday in Port Charlotte against uh, Tampa Bay. So as for you guys, I'll, I'll, whoever wants to start can, can take this where they want to go with it. But what do you think is the most important thing? What, what in your mind, what does Greg Bird have to do to win the job away from Luke Voigt? Uh, whoever wants to jump on that can uh, start. He has to um, play at least. I mean, I'll say that that's the guy actually has to like, you know, like play. Being on the field and being that, alive, yeah, that'd be a nice start. One hundred percent of a, even eighty percent of a human being would be. I like Bird. I'll right be honest. I still Bird. do. I love his bat. I love the swing. I love. I think the it's lefty just swing to count him out. I think there's a lot of people who don't want to let him clear the slate. That that one should, you know, you should start 2019 not being judged completely off of your 2018. I think from some of the stuff I've seen on Twitter, the only people who, you know, people don't want to let the fact that Stanton only hit like 267 with 
leading the team in homers and RBIs is a bad year. They don't want to let um, Tyler Wade move on. They don't want to let Bird move on. I think it's just, it's kind of just dumb. Like people who, who think that Greg Bird is such a bad person so badly, they're openly rooting for him to fail. Yeah. How could you root against your own guys? And you know, and well, that's like, the thing. That, <laughs> mm, sorry for that's just, the thing that really pisses me off about Yankee fans on Twitter. I don't know. You're if a waste of a fan. I'm sorry. Yeah, like, exactly. Don't no, watch like, the games. These people that I, I see, they, they go on Twitter. They complain about everything. They root for players to fail because I don't, yeah, God knows what reason may. Oh, wow. They made you upset a couple games because they didn't do so well. Oh, wow. God forbid Greg Bird. Maybe he's not the best player in the world. All right. That's fine. You don't have to openly root for the guy to be a failure of a human being just because you are. Okay. I'm sorry, but if you openly root for anybody within your organization to fail, then you're not a fan. You, you, these people don't, they're not baseball fans. They don't want the game to be played the right way. They just want what they want. They want like, they're rooting for a business. They're not rooting for, for a baseball team. That That's the way I say it. they're rooting like, oh, if they don't agree or if they don't make the business decisions that I want, or if they don't put out the personnel that I want, I'm not going to go to the games. I'm not going to spend any money. Oh, like, I guess you will. And that's a total lie. Hey, like, you totally, it's so dumb. Oh, I'm sorry. If, if, if Greg Bird starts 162 games at first base this year and he hits 203, I'm going to be mad. And that's a failure I'm by the Yankee mad. organization. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that would be a failure. But, like, you know, I find it incredibly unlikely that that happens. I'll be upset. I'll be angry with Greg Bird. I'm still going to go to the games. And like, guess what? What else am I going to do? What else? I'm going to work all summer and still money. win games. Yeah. Well, yeah. They'll that's still true. win a hundred games, and in the postseason, like, look, is Greg Bird. No, go Max. No, it's fine. It's uh, if Greg Bird hit like two thirty with like twenty bombs and struck out. Uh, if, okay, if Greg Bird does something similar to like his, like, you, I, I'm guessing that someone like JP has looked at like his numbers from the 20, uh, 2017 postseason. The batting average was bad, it, but the but he his slugging percentage was up, his OBP was up. He was hitting. He was coming through in big spots. He was driving in runs, and he looked fine at first base. Like that's what I want. If he could be, he isn't. Look, he doesn't have to be the 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 a superstar. He just has to be a a a serviceable player. I'm being dead serious. Serviceable. No, I. Yeah, if Luke Voigt, right. if Luke Voigt does Luke Voigt things, and Greg Bird can do whatever he can, and that's not in a negative way from the left side. It's going to be great for the Yankees. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think I think he has plenty of positive value to to contribute, and I think I've got those postseason game logs up. And if you think about it, he's a guy who who in a, in a if you go from the wild card through to the division series through to the, the all the way up to game seven, he had more walks than hits in the series. He had 12 walks to 10 hits in the postseason. In the postseason, he was so two, good. I'm sorry. 244 batting average, a, a 426 uh, on base and a 512 slugging, which is, it's kind of odd to see a guy, you know, that's a huge OBP boost just because they didn't. People didn't want to pitch to him. Well, no, it's because he everything was, he turned on was hitting the foul pole. I mean, everything he turned on was going 350 feet. 
you know, it was going to the second yeah, deck. Yeah. Like the, the Andrew Miller homer that everybody. I was at that game where people, just a fun fact. People, people tend to be uh, annoyed to be hearing about. I don't want to hear about the damn Andrew Miller homer anymore just because it was one thing. It was not a fluke. If you watch that postseason, if you used your eyes, it's not a fluke. Like, (laughs) I think it also is. um, I think for for both of them, um, defense. I think it's gonna. uh, I think the way that they looked to hit to start the year. I know it's two games and it's really easy to to overreact to a you know what's a cumulative like five at bat sample size total between the two guys is um yeah I mean to start I mean they both they both hit the ball hard they both seem to be moving well um Bird didn't have anything particularly difficult um defensively in that first game and people are kind of overreacting to Luke Voigt making a pretty elementary play just because they want him to win the job I think it was a um, in the Tampa game I'm sorry yeah, I mean it was he just had to go down to a knee and backhand. I like. It, um, never mind. Just keep going. Sorry, I'm not gonna. Um, so I think I think it's gonna come down to little things. I know Boone said the other day he noticed Clint Frazier was doing what he called heady things. Like he was being smart. He was moving, trying to know where he needed to be. Um, as the play developed, he mentioned Frazier. Clint Frazier was backing up um, throws to third base. Um, and was putting himself in position to contribute, even though he probably wouldn't be the first guy to be involved on the play. And so I think there's going to be an increased attention to detail if they both hit, because if it comes down to who positioned themselves right for cutoffs, who um, threw the ball well, who made the best decisions, it'll come down to who had the best secondary spring training. If they're both going to hit somewhere between 265 and 300 with, you know, a lot of line drives, because it'll come down to who is the more complete player. I think that that's something they, they've since Teixeira, uh, you know, a curse word among, among some of our, uh, some of our confidants, um, the Yandel who hates Mark Teixeira with all his might. What a play by um, I think tax. I think we'll we'll be able to see the importance of someone, you know, that it's not gonna be prime Mark Teixeira, but someone who is at least at the very least competent or replacement level defensively and along that's what we with, need. And I think it's important the fact that neither of them are like born and raised first base prodigies. Like I'm pretty sure Luke Voigt was kinda just like a like a rebel without they're a both, cause. They were, the they were both catchers until yeah. like they were drafted. And yeah, and I know Greg Bird was raised a catcher, but like he's too fragile to catch. So well, he's also not agile. He at also all. didn't project well. Yeah, like he's just he, <laughs> he was small. He just I can't even imagine seeing Greg Bird behind the plate. Seeing Greg Bird at the plate makes me sick. Over. But I mean, um, Voigt was a catcher. Uh, only the year he was drafted, drafted 2013, uh, never played another inning there. Has played exclusively first base, um, with the exception of a little bit of outfield um, with the Yankees and with the Cardinals in their uh, minor league system. Uh, Bird, I think, in the same way, hasn't hasn't been a catcher since you know low A ball the year he was drafted, something like that. I think the 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 priority for them has to be healthy and just trying to hit line drives i feel like the past couple years i know people think that greg bird is 
too nonchalant for his own good. But I think what happened with Bird was he, um, he almost might have been trying too hard the year that he had that ridiculous spring and he, he, you know, everyone was, he had, he tied with Bryce Harper for the most homers in spring training and everyone was thinking they were going to get a 275 hitter who hits 45 homers and is a perennial all-star. And then he fouled that ball off his ankle in uh, Atlanta in that exhibition game, which consequently was this was the first uh, of the last time that Sonny Gray looked uh, good as a Yankees pitcher. Oh, um, I have so many gifts in that game that are just so beautiful. He <laughs> so good in that game thank you Max um, very cool <laughs> <laughs> very cool um, I think that sort of uh, if you read the piece in the athletic that Lindsay Adler wrote oh, yeah, Henry David his, mentality, his mentality didn't ever get let him get past that injury yeah. and he had the ability to sort of push himself past it now especially because now apparently he's finally back at 100% health I don't know whether you want to blame the Yankees as a team for for quote unquote rushing him or him for chomping at the bit to come back but I think he's had a chance to clear his mind he's had a chance to get physically healthy and that can only give him a more confidence and B it takes out an excuse so if he can't do it it's because he is not as good of a player and not because of something that you can't really control yeah. for, which is uh, the inability to stay healthy. And I think on that note, the Yankees did fall into some bad luck last year with the amount of injuries they had. And I think that kind of forced their hand to mishandle some of the injuries that they dealt with. Yeah, the I ones like Greg Bird and like Gary Sanchez. And if we find out that Luis Severino was dealing with like a real substantial injury, Things like that. Like, they couldn't deal with the fact that John Carlos Stanton had a nagging hamstring injury for Yeah, he had the hamstring injury. I mean... Well, that was... That was the reason Shane Robinson played was exactly. because the plan A was to put Stanton in right field every day until Judge was back. And Stanton was hurt enough that he couldn't play the field. And so the only the best thing for the team at that point wasn't to put Stanton in the outfield or put him on the DL. He had to DH because he was the primary offensive threat at that point. And so, you know, you you, you make a good point about um, managing the injuries for the good of the team. And I think in, in a, in a situation like that, Luke Voigt ended up being a savior, especially for the, in, you know, for the return that the, the Cardinals got. I mean, Shreve and Gallegos is nothing, but, um, the, um, him appearing out of nowhere gave them the ability to just sort of push Greg Bird to the side there and not, push him too hard and I think that benefits him because A, it might have you know lit a fire underneath him and want him to say this is my job but it also gave them a chance to say you know get off that ankle wow do more treatment um, get right and we'll see you in Tampa in February and then we will give you another try and I don't know if this is Greg Bird's mentality but if it is his mentality that like this is my job and he looks at Luke Voigt like hey like you took my job I don't know necessarily how I feel about that because I definitely have not seen enough from Greg Bird to say that his job is anywhere but on the Scranton Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders at the very least. I think, at the very most, I think also there's a, a finite um, idea to where that opportunity for him is going to come because Boone has already made it pretty clear that, that after... After Bird slash Voight, whoever comes out on top, the, the next guy on the depth chart is DJ LeMahieu. The guy after that is probably going to be Austin Romine. 
and, you know, in terms of who's on the major league roster. And then well, I mean, DJ. the next guy is, is it triple? Uh, I said that. Oh, um, my bad. It was, yeah, it was cutting uh, out. Right, we cut that um, out. We're going to, all right, we're going to go. Sorry. Connection's been shit. We'll rewind like two seconds and then we'll just cut this shit out. Um, so yeah, I mean, behind bird or Voigt, whoever wins it, um, there's LeMahieu and then, you know, Romine will be on the active roster and he's played some first base too. But then the loser of that competition is going to Scranton. And I think the threat of that, I mean, Greg Bird has never been optioned to the minor leagues before, believe it or not, because he was called up and then spent every moment that he wasn't on the active roster on the disabled list, which has been plenty of time, as I'm sure all Yankees fans know. So I think he's got something to prove. He doesn't want to go back to the minor leagues. And um, I think that's a good enough motivator for him. Um, I hope it would be. Yeah, I mean, I would certainly hope that he doesn't want to be some... I, I, I would hope that his desire is to be more of a perennial all-star than a perennial, you know, quadruple A player. You would say with anybody. You never know with some guys, though. Some are just content. I think I want to see more. I think he's had good swings, and I think he looks a little bit more comfortable and I think I think he's more capable as a result I think with a little more I think well here's the thing he's been able to put on muscle he's been able to it seems like he's actually I don't want to use the spring training cliches but it actually seems like he could be in what could be considered the best shape of his life and I'm gonna get a lot of shit for that but I think I think that is a situation where if he he finally felt comfortable enough to work out enough to put on 20 pounds of muscle. Like that requires you to be feeling really good about yourself and being able to get in the gym every day and work. It super hard. You know, you don't just put on 20 pounds out of nowhere unless you're, you know, using steroids, which I doubt he is. So I think it, it shows something just from a, that shows something about the work ethic. I know people got on him for saying, I'm just happy to be here. Um, which, you know, that's last year's problem. I don't want to talk about that anymore, but um, I think it shows a, he's committed to proving people wrong. And I think it shows that he's healthier now than he ever has been, which is just going to work out well for him. All right. So this is the middle of the episode, it seems. And funny enough, we recorded this episode on Sunday night at about 1230 in the morning. And we discussed for about 15 to 20 minutes, the prospect of the Yankees extending center fielder Aaron Hicks and we talked about you know different terms that we would propose and what we think the you know the numbers would be in the years and all that good stuff and well we finished the episode at about you know one o'clock 1 30 I woke up this morning at about nine o'clock and little did I know that while I was asleep the Yankees extended Aaron Hicks to seven years and 70 million dollars so some lessons are uh don't record podcasts in the middle of the night. Yeah, bad things will happen. I guess that's a bad luck thing. And uh, some other lessons are that we are seeing a bit of a culture shift in the New York Yankees in which they are taking care of their own, extending players' team-friendly deals. I mean, maybe they're gone. Maybe they're just amended. I don't know, but... What do we think? It takes two sides to make a deal. It's not like they... Yeah, no, I think this was a fantastic contract. And like... And like Hicks even said he felt it was a 
good thing. He for, said he um, felt it was sides. fair for both sides. Yeah. Um, before we get too deep into it, I want to just lay out the terms of the contract so that we know and so our listeners know what we're talking about here. So he was already due six million dollars. Now he gets a two an extra two million dollar signing bonus on top of that. Then he'll make ten and a half million dollars um, from the 2020 season all the way through until 2023. A uh, slight um, pay cut in 2024-2025 where he'll make uh, nine and a half. And then 2026, uh, the team holds a $12.5 million club option or can buy him out for $1 million. Hearing uh, the year 2026 just kind of makes me sick. That just feels like so long from now, but like, you know, all things considered, it's really not. But when I think about this contract, I love it. I mean, obviously I love it because the, the money is there. I think it's locking up one of the better center fielders in the league, not even just the American league, but in MLB. And I think, and I think when I, when I saw it and I heard seven years, I was a little bit surprised, not at the Yankees wanting to commit to Aaron Hicks for that long. But I, when I hear a number like seven years, I don't think of a player like Aaron Hicks. I think of like the big name, you know, super young guys. And I, I feel like the Yankees, yeah, like seven years, it, it's just an odd number, especially given the off season that the Yankees have had so far. They've signed guys to three years, four years, two years, you know, one year. That's, that's the most we've seen. And like, they're signing some pretty young guys. I, think I have a theory about it, though. Right. I think <clears throat> Hicks at 29, um, with his speed and his uh, other tools, he's proven that he's a guy that um, is, as we've talked about plenty of times, uh, he's the top five center fielder in Major League Baseball. But what this deal does is over the span of those seven years, it gives him room to you know, become older, maybe not be a center fielder anymore, maybe become a fourth outfielder. And the pro- the thing about it is he's never going to be someone you look at and say, wow, he's making way too much money to be yeah. doing what he's doing. Because the reality is he's not, yeah, he, has the same, he has the same average annual value as, as Severino on his extension. Um, I, I posted a graphic on my Twitter the other day of, of who's making more money than him. Um, in terms of average annual value. And when you get as far out as 2021, so two seasons down the road, just about every single one of those guys is off the books, depending on how certain club and player options come, uh, come together. <clears throat> so I think it's such a unique deal in that it allows Hicks to get the guaranteed money that he deserves, but it also gives the Yankees the flexibility to allow him to play into his decline years where mm-hmm. he won't, you know, he won't be elite in center field anymore. Maybe he'll be, you know, we saw it with Brett Gardner, how Brett Gardner was elite in center field and then couldn't do it anymore. And now he's with his athleticism. He's plus plus fielder. Exactly. He's still, you know, plus plus just below elite uh, at this point in his career, which is astounding for how old he is and how hard he plays. I think Hicks has the same um, trajectory. In some ways. And which is weird to think because when I look at the two of them, I don't think I'm looking at, you know, anywhere near the same player or a similar player, but it looks like they might follow a very similar path in the the way that their careers play out. And I mean, if that's the case, that's, I mean, that's great. I I wouldn't be able to complain. I mean, six years down the road, God knows what the team is going to look like. We could have, you know, who knows in in left center right field. Hopefully, Florio and you move him to left because that like arm strength, obviously, that that he can play left. That yeah, we saw that he's done before. Throw a couple um, years ago that was that went like three hundred miles an hour. Yeah, uh, an hour. 
I think it's interesting to also think about how it affects Clint Frazier. And I feel like it's interesting because I feel like Frazier's concern now is, is Gardner for left field and not Hicks on this extension. I think down the road, the battle that will manifest itself should the Yankees not move him for pitching will be Florial um, forcing the issue. And we've seen him, you know, hit the ball hard, uh, show off his speed, stolen bases, um, obviously still some holes in his game. He's still working on pitch recognition. The Yankees brought in a new minor league hitting coordinator who's uh, who worked with the Houston Astros and de- developed a reputation for being a sort of guru of pitch recognition. I think it's no coincidence that that's something that Florial struggled with. Um, but I, I like what this does just from, you know, it has a versatility in and of itself, both for Hicks and for the Yankees. And yeah. that's just such a strength. And this is kind of unrelated, but you mentioned something that it kind of reminded me of it where I like a lot what like the Yankees are obviously very well connected with their, I guess, alumni, if you want to call them that, of the uh, of the team and like getting them back in special mm-hmm. advisor roles. And I love what they're doing with Carlos Beltran and Estevan Florial, where I think that could really turn into a beautiful relationship. And we saw today that Andy Pettit is back in the Thank Bronx God, I love Andy at Pettit. a special advisor role. I, a childhood he can help from the a lot. Yeah, yeah, he can help players can like help. James Paxton and then Jordan Montgomery. Yep. Are, you know, I think he's going to be huge. That, I, think it, that, I think that's going to be Jordan Montgomery like could extremely turn important. And I think he could have half of Andy Pettit. I mean, sign me the hell up. I mean, that's obviously high expectations for a guy who's got his number retired. And yeah, you can't um, expect that out of anyone (laughs) as a bunch of rings. But I think they profile in a similar fashion. I think I think Paxton, like you mentioned, is someone who he can um, really help out. Um, and I just think, I don't know, the Yankees, they don't really have much in terms of, of lefty starters at much at all in their system. Now, Sheffield was the guy that was left. And if Justice Sheffield turns into James Paxton for the Mariners two or three years down the road, that's great for them. And that's why they made the trade. But the Yankees need what James Paxton is now in, you know, in place of the promise of what Justice Sheffield field could be. And the reality is that Justice Sheffield still walked four batters per nine innings in, you know, thereabouts. I don't have the exact number on me, but he still had command problems and he was still as a result throwing 110 pitches to get through five innings, which is which just is, yeah. not going to fly. It's I mean, extremely it alarming. Because then they can go to Holder or Green or Adovino in or the same inning. Yeah. But that, like every, you know, that's just not going to be um, um, going no, to be the case every like, No, it wouldn't be. So they made that in like terms of a right move, like 100%. And I think right this all kind of ties into like this all sounds a bit unrelated, but I think it all ties into how good the offseason has been for the Yankees. Just no, it's been an bottom. awful one. I've been told. I've been oh, told yeah, it's been well, an awful yeah. offseason because you know we didn't sign the guys that I want. You didn't get those yeah. guys. The Twitter they know have told us that it's been an awful offseason, but we have added guys who know what it takes to play in New York, who can help We've the younger guys everywhere. We have added everywhere. The we have extended the most undervalued player in the league hopefully soon to extend the best eighth inning pitcher in baseball, baseball. yeah absolutely in baseball which is, in, i hope is next sport. 
and Didi, I think, could wait. I'm not as. I think you got to see how the injury yeah. plays out. Yeah, Batanzas has rush, to be the guy. But Dylan Batanzas, I want him in New York for the next five years. And I think he wants to stay. I don't think that's a fake. Born and raised. I mean, he's made his he career was a here. Fan. Yeah, no, he yeah. loves it here. I think everyone knows that. It's obvious. And the. And so also, how could you how nice. could you let a guy like that hit free agency when you know how valuable he is, and when you have it too. right here in your hand, the ability to you know lock him up for however long? I mean, just just do it. It's it's pretty simple. The thing about Patanzas, he's thirty, um, which is not old in reliever years. You know, he Patanzas had you know everybody looked at 2017 as the year that Dylan Patanzas fell off. That was when he was struggling. Um, he walked, um, his walks per nine spiked from just under four to a 6.6 walks per nine. He kind of lost his command. He was the last guy out of the bullpen in the playoffs. Joe Girardi only used him in extra innings against the, the Astros in that series. Um, if I'm recalling correctly, uh, 2017. And so uh, the Indians, it was the game two where they lost game two. Thanks, Ronald. Right. (laughs) Yikes. Yeah. Um, but he, um, he put in a ton of work. I know he worked a lot with, um, the Yankees, I think had, um, had him talk with a sports psychologist and he got his mechanics are sound. Now they look more that. Yeah. He definitely looked like he improved, um, on on that and he saw his era drop his walks dropped back into where they had previously been um and so i think he's in a better place to succeed now and i think that he has the confidence to know that he can succeed as a yankee and i think that they should capitalize yeah. on he, that they meaning the team should capitalize on that too and then you look at the fact say, that he had a bad april last year and that was really the only slip or was it april or may i forget exactly I when it was april. Uh, let me grab those splits for you but, but he definitely had a be- the, the beginning of the season and I, I, I don't you can't take a lot of stock in that you you look at at the beginning of the year he had a he had a uh, it's not even that bad it's it's a reliever here's the thing with relievers yeah you give up so much runs in one outing yeah, and your ERA, the numbers are is, for your ERA is is like 27 oh, yeah i was gonna say late, that even despite June. that he like if you took that away or even just put him at like replacement level for that one month he's like a two era pitcher it's because he gave up three runs in two thirds of an inning against Detroit, April thirteenth. Yeah, um, he allowed five five runs in April. Uh, excuse me, six earned runs in April to a four point nine one ERA. Yeah. Uh, if you ignore April and um, look at the rest of the year for Potensis, um you get a two point two six ERA. Two point two six. Two point two six. That's not bad. Batters take put it. up um, a point five one five OPS against them. Isn't the um, league average like seven hundred? League average is around seven hundred to seven fifty. Let me pull that because um, I've got that right here too. Um, and while we're on that topic, once we get to that number, I want to talk about while we're on the the OPS topic, Aaron Hicks. Let's go. The the comments you that like Brian Cashman made, OBS. the comments that Brian Cashman made, and just like the front office and Aaron Boone about the prospect that they saw in Aaron Hicks and what they were looking for when they wanted to extend him, things like OPS, things like home runs, his walk rate, low strikeout rate, you know, quote unquote, can of an cannon of an arm from Brian Cashman. Yeah, I mean that's the arm is is I think he's got one of the highest um, velocity throws from an outfielder ever recorded I by think Statcast. I think it's not the fastest ever. Yeah, I think, I think it is it, it, the fastest ever. Like 105. 
and and on the subject of OPS specifically, it's a it's a a stronger metric for um, representing offensive performance than than batting average because what oh, yeah. it does is it takes on base percentage, which includes walks, uh, of course, and um, other instances where you reach base without getting a hit, uh, and adds that together with your slugging percentage. And what that does is it gives you a better um, realization of what a player is doing in terms of how often are they getting on base and how productive is it? it? It gives more credit to doubles and triples and home runs, whereas batting average counts as single, uh, the same as a home run, yeah. which I think is unfair. And um, James Smythe, um, the lovely um, and very talented researcher for the Yes Network, um, tweeted something today that I found very um, eye-opening about Aaron Hicks. With um, 2018 Aaron Hicks, he was 44th among qualified hitters um, in batting average uh, with a 248 batting average, but his 366 on base percentage was 10th, 10th in the American League. He um, gets on base a ton. I mean, that's and so what happens is, yeah, um, like according to James Smythe, he said uh, batting average takes 101 of his 581 plate appearances and says that they don't matter, which is 17.4 percent of his time at the bat in the batter's box. 90 walks, three hit by pitches, um, six sacrifice flies, and two sack bunts. In the modern game, it's just, I mean, it's not the same anymore. It's like average. It's just not as important. Well, it's not. Is, there's, it really, there's, I feel like there's been a more of a shift towards complete hitters yeah. Who, yeah. Who, who hit the ball hard, hit it for power, walk, um, and, and do smart things when they're when they're in the box. And I think Hicks Hicks is not even that much of a it's not like he he's a bad hitter in and of itself. I think you look at a 248 batting average and it does leave something to be desired, but we we return to batting average on balls in play. Was it where about 250? 264 no. for Hicks, which is a little above league average. It's not... Um, oh, um, on the subject of uh, t- talking about league average, uh, Hicks had an OPS of um, of 833 where the league average is 728 from 2018 so he was clearly that includes national league pitchers but um that doesn't really change it much uh probably drags it down but um you know he where the batting average on balls and play average is 296 so he's 30 points below average which means he's he's hit into a certain degree of of bad luck i mean we saw it with gary sanchez who would smoke balls right at you yeah, know he was the an third extreme baseman, example right at the left fielder and so you know when he hit 266 in 2017 <clears throat> he had a, a batting average on balls in play of 290. So he was, you know, things were falling and his average went up by 20 points. I, so, I really think that we're going to see a little bit more of a complete Aaron Hicks this year, as if we haven't already, but I think the batting average will come around. I mean, maybe that's just complete speculation and wishful thinking, but I really think, you know, he's going to no, take I that next step into being like I, a 275 hitter this year. I mean, everyone knows, like, I mean, I've said it a ton. I think he's going to have an insane year. I've said this. I mean, obviously, it's my take. I think he's going to improve a lot. Like, I think he's going to improve a significant amount. I think that's, I don't think that's an unreasonable thing to bet on. I don't think so at all. I I just, I look at um, things like... um, expected weighted on base average, which is a fun metric created by um, 
the brilliant folks at StatCast and Baseball Savant, um, which uses quality of contact metrics to determine how often a player should be getting on base. Um, and it also with the, with the expected stat is it creates a gap between what they actually do and what they should have done. And, and Hicks under hit his, his expected metrics. And that has something to do with his batting average on balls in play as well. Um, he hits the ball hard 36. Um, he hit the ball hard, excuse me, last year, 43% of the time, which is 80th percentile in the league, which is what you want. And his um, sure. um, uh, weighted on base average was, was 89th percentile. And, and everything that that looked at Aaron Hicks as a hitter said, this guy is something special. And, you know, hard hit percentage is, is something that can't be fooled. But these expected stats are saying this is a guy who's going to perform with a little more luck and it's not like he was bad with bad luck and and I can say that to a certain degree of, of comfort when you look at a, a 264 batting average on balls and play and to wrap up with Aaron Hicks I want to ask the question what do you guys think is one thing that you want to see more of from Aaron Hicks this year that, he, that you haven't seen or that you want to see more of or just see in general um I think um Oh gosh, that, you know that's a really hard question to look at right from the beginning, just because he has been such a a complete hitter to a certain degree. But I want to see a slight improvement in his um, right-handed hitting. Yeah, that was something that I know I remember when he first came over. That Michael Kay and the Yes team. You know, this was before I, I dug into this the stats as much as I do now. But we're talking about how he was this um, switch hitter who had a talent for actually hitting righty way more than he did lefty. And I, I think that might have something to do with the fact that he might have been a, a natural right-handed hitter and uh, learned to switch hit. Um, though I... I um, I think he did. I don't have that in front of me it. right now. I think his but, dad, um, like, I think he, like, I think he, um, I think he taught him how to, like, like how to, like, hit from both um, sides, if I remember right. He had an interview. So, yeah, that makes sense. Uh-huh. And, and the, the crazy part is, is I, I don't want to fall into my own trap that I set by saying that you can't look at him just from the realm of batting average because that's an unfair way to evaluate him. But um, he did hit 224, just pure batting average against lefties. Um, he hit 258 against righties. And this is 2018 stats, mind you. Um, and the um, crazy part is he still had an 800 OPS. Yeah, it's <laughs> you know, ridiculous. Which is ridiculous. So I think, I think one of the things he can do is is just um, sort of get back on uh, on the the ability to hit lefties yeah. um, because he hit 312 against lefties in 2017. And yeah. I think that he is, is good at that. And I think that that's what we'll see from him uh, coming up in 2019. I'd say the same, actually. I, like, just, I, I would say this same exact, like paying from him. See, uh, I, I actually like that. I didn't even think about that, but I do remember no, he, I had, he had some serious woes against lefties last year. Maybe just in comparison, there was uh like proclivity against right-handed pitching, but um, I I would like to see. We've already seen glimpses of it with his comments the other day to the uh, you know to the writers and everything. I want to see him become more of an off the field slash in the dugout kind of leader. 
like leader of men type because we know he has the ability playing such a dynamic and uh, demanding position. I think he is very well poised and, you know, being one of the older guys on the team now at age 29 or 30, having just extended himself to be here for a long time. I think he is in a great position to establish himself as one of the leaders on this team and, you know, be one of the driving emotional forces for these, you know, especially the young guys and people like Clint Frazier and, you know, especially the outfielders. Yeah, I stuff. think, you know, the the Yankees put a lot of stock into their leadership as the guys who are going to be around for a while. And they, you know, as we, we learn more about Hicks, as he gets more attention, because he will be one of those guys who's around for a while. I think the Yankees have tacitly said, this is a guy we really, really believe in. Um, both in terms of his on the field performance and his demeanor um, in the dugout, in the clubhouse uh, and with the media. And I think that that's something that um, can't really be overlooked. Yeah, and I liked the, the comment that I saw from Brian Cashman today where he said it was a very short quote where he said Aaron Hicks after the, you know, in the contract talks, uh, I'm betting on you, which I feel is a little bit different than something I normally hear from, from Brian Cashman. And I think it's kind of indicative of the respect. What in, of him, yeah. The prospect that he sees, the respect for and the prospect that he sees in Aaron Hicks, and he was one of his, you know, his like. Yeah, I agree with you. The full quote he said is, "Is um, I told Aaron, uh, I'm betting on you. I believe there's more gas in his tank. I believe there's more mountains to climb. He's a player with plate discipline and power and a cannon of an arm as a defender in center field. So he's capable of impacting a game in a positive way on both sides of the ball. I feel like we're fortunate to have him." Close quote. So. I mean, Brian Cashman, one of the things you notice what he, when he talks about players, he talks about checking boxes. Um, he says that a lot and he listed it. You know, he didn't say checking boxes, but he listed um, there's more to happen there uh, as a player. Um, he's got plate discipline. He's got uh, defensive ability. And that's, you know, they believe in him on both sides of the ball. And that's the best thing for this team right now. I have to agree. Let's move on from that segment and we'll hit up some of the DMs and voicemails that we've been getting uh, recently. Uh, keep them coming. Uh, you can DM us on Twitter. Uh, you know the at by now, but it's at core for pod or the number four. Um, yes, with the number four, the digit. Don't, uh, I don't know. You'll end up with someone else's. Kind of like Lou Gehrig. You'll end up with someone else's uh, podcast, or you can always leave us a voicemail. The number for that is 929-251-3932. Um, tell us how much you love our show. Uh, also do that in the comment or, section of your favorite podcast provider. Yeah, five stars, nice comments. Um, send us pizza or something. And subscribe, of course. Yeah, drop us some subscriptions as well. So, so uh, we'll get into the DMs first. I will read them. We're going to do like rapid fire. We're not going to get too much into like the, the this and that and the nuance of all the questions, but we're just going to do kind of rapid fire. Get you guys out of here. You know, high density here. We're going high volume, high percentage from at facade views on Twitter. What do you think the chances are Clint Frazier starts in left field on opening day? And who do you want to see start there? In left field, you said? In left field. <laughs> mm. I, you know, in a perfect world, 
Clint Frazier hits like 350 in spring training, shows immense maturity at home plate and improves his defense like he said he's been trying to do. I don't know how realistic that is, but I do think he is in the, my, the most real, realistic way I see spring training going is no matter what he does, he will end up starting with the rail riders in order to make up for the at bats. He lost to the concussion. I, I think I, can agree. I don't think he'll start on opening day, but I do think come maybe June, we're going to be seeing a lot more of Clint Frazier. At the, I think at the if, he, latest, if, yeah. if he, I agree. If he hits, put Stanton in left. Yeah. I've been saying this. Put Stanton in left. He's 29. He's not old. He can play. He should be in left. Yeah, I think that there's an advantage to that. Or or Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper, Bryce Harper could always simple simple fix. Simple fix. Sign Bryce Harper. Next question. It, it's going to be Gardner though. It's going to be Gardner. Oh, yeah, Hundred percent will be yeah, Gardner. Or probably first, knowing the Yankees. But. So, from Rise Flash, Ariel says, let's say Bird and Voigt both have great spring trainings. Who should the Yankees start on opening day? Bird. I, I think Bird's it's got to be Bird. It helps more. It's got to be. I, as much as I like what Voigt has, I think Bird, you know, they've already said Bird, Bird has I think it's a defensive leg up. I think they they draft left-handed hitting first baseman and... I think Voight still has some of that homegrown glimmer to him because well, yeah, it was one it was of like Cashman's, you know, fleece trades and bargain stuff, bin but finds. But I think, oh uh, man, if they're tied, I lean toward Bird because he's a stronger defender and a lefty hitter, and I think that that balance I, is good. I got an, I got uh, an idea here. Go for it. I got an idea here. All right, I'll say this again. I have an idea here. So, something that the Yankees could do. One of my uh, one of my teammates uh, proposes to me today. Uh, what if Giancarlo and left Voight or a Bird first base DH? I love that. I like it probably wouldn't happen on opening day. Like it just probably just probably not a but, thing. But like that's something. Like if Greg Bird's really hot. Uh, like Stans doing stand things and Voight Voight from last year. You want to have as much as much. In, it makes the thing sense. Is, I, I mean, I'm not. I, mean, I, I like the idea, but that would rely on a lot of things. I would rely on Clint Frazier probably being in AAA, so this would most likely be in the beginning of the year for both of Voight and Bert to be on the roster. It would also rely on Brett Gardner not playing that day, which is you know whenever the Yankees decide. You know, I'm not saying I have any problem with. It. I'm just saying that the Yankees have to. Make that decision and put Stan in left field, which is you know it's it's possible. I, I think it would be like an early season type thing, if anything, or in like an injury stretch type thing. But I mean, I think it would have to be something like that because I think part of it is also with a three man bench, you sort of look to have as much flexibility as possible and carrying a bird and Voight as two first base only essentially options. You know, you can't really count on Voight as a corner outfielder. I think you end up leaving yourself very vulnerable to having you know, two pure first basemen, which is why someone like LeMayhew is more attractive because LeMayhew can play third base and second base, not to mention second base at an elite level. Or someone like Tyler Wade, who is 
A fast and B capable of playing, you know, seven out of the nine positions on the diamond. At what level is up to, you know, up to interpretation. But yeah, the next question is from Pacer underscore Josh. Josh asks, who do you think is the biggest sleeper on the team this year? And I'm going to say right away, it's going to be DJ LeMayu, who I drafted in my fantasy league last year and did very good things for me until his thumb injury, and I traded him away. Thank you, DJ, for your service. I'm glad to have you in New York. He, when the inevitable infield injury, most likely Troy Tulowitzki three weeks into the season, when that happens, Labor's playing short and DJ's in a second, people will stop the slander of DJ. People will come to realize that he's probably worth the $12 million a year that we gave him, and I don't have to hear the idiotic takes anymore that, oh, oh, backup, world famous, blah, 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 blah. He won a batting title. He won three gold gloves. I, I don't even think it's... It's because of course. It's all because oh of course. God. It's not good. It's all because it's of course. To, let's oh be real. Have to have oh another no. conversation of being a sleeper as a batting, right, as a batting yeah. champion. Get yeah, Get I think the Coors thing we, we've the Coors thing is is, is overplayed. The Coors is an advantage yeah, and a disadvantage because the the oxygen creates pitches that move differently at that at that altitude. And when they go to other stadiums, pitches move completely differently. I think it's 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 hard to look at a player like Arenado. Uh, a player like LeMayhew. We are a science podcast now. And just, <laughs> listen, it's basic physics. Oh, yeah, because um, that's what we're all about here. So, yeah. yeah, buddy. Uh, all right. Um, so I think, I think we'll be able to see LeMayhew um, show something more than what he did at Coors. Yeah. Sorry about I that. I agree. We'll keep going now. Um, sleeper, though. Um, sleeper for me is Aaron yeah. Hicks, of course. You know, I think he's a monster. Yeah, I've said it from the start. I'll continue that. Um, oh, Max. You wanna, I'm still thinking. Right. Okay, uh, Tommy Hanley. Ooh, that's a mm, good one. I like that. Ooh, I like that. I love that. If Tommy, yeah, if Tommy, if Tommy Hanley comes back, the Yankees are gonna have the best bullpen ever. Tell me I'm wrong. Yes, I think 100%. that's pretty reasonable. Yeah, Tommy Hanley at his best is better than. Uh, God, he's he's a closer on a lot. He, he he's a closer on his hands. If he, uh, him his best. Absolutely, that's a good point. Him during the 2017 playoffs, he was our best reliever. Yeah, he was. He was. Yes, he was. He was very sort good. of. He out Houdini D Rob. Uh, I got to see him close out two games, and I was excited about that. But yeah, no. I think yes. <laughs> Yeah, yes, I think sorry. one more sleeper. I really like Keenly. That's a really good choice. Yeah, that was, um, that was some surprising I, insight from Max. I, I, I almost forgot about Tommy Keenly. I want to say, I don't know about sleeper because I think the expectations for him are going to be high. But I like the idea of of James Paxton being. Yeah. Um, a very, very, very solid addition. And I think he, you know, I think Yankees fans are never satisfied in that when they trade for Paxton, everybody says, oh, but you could have traded Andujar for Kluber or Bauer. And that really probably wasn't on the table. Or, you know, Gary Sanchez and Miguel Andujar for um, that Noah Syndergaard nonsense. And I think James Paxton is a big lefty who's going to show... Um, how important it is to have a strong lefty Yankee Stadium. You can neutralize lefty bats, keep you from attacking the right field wall there. And I think getting, you know, coming from Seattle where it's a notorious pitcher's park to Yankee Stadium, I think he's shown that he has the toughness. I think he has shown that he has the stuff. 
and he'll um i think he'll open some eyes i think people you know his stats don't scream ace and i think that that's a fair a fair way of looking at it his more analytical stats i think scream ace the intricacies of his game his advanced stats rather than just era if you want to look at era and well part of it was yeah that he um River Avenue Blues ran a uh, analysis of Paxton's work with Mike Zanino in Seattle, and they found that um, he actually was one of the pitchers who had the most amount of called strikes taken away from him for whatever reason, be it bad framing, be it a weird um, sort of string of bad luck. Um, and they actually compared Zanino's framing abilities to those of, of Romine and Sanchez and figured out that he actually might get more strikes um, with the Yankees catchers, which I think is uh, an exciting prospect. And I also just think he's a different look enough. He has a strong velocity. His spin rate is something, you know, you want to either be above or below average with your spin rate significantly. And his curveball spin is really uh, low. And I think what that actually does is it, it makes it, it doesn't, it's not as sharp. It's got a little more loop to it. And I think he has a very strong ability to uh, make a good impression uh, for the yeah. Yankees. And I, I have the co-sign. Yeah, so. I agree. Now, we have a few voicemails. Uh, we're going to start. Let's see, which one are we going to start with? Let's start with this one. Hey, fellas, uh, what's your thoughts on uh, predictions for the season's MVPs, uh, both the AL and the NL? See ya. All right, so MVPs this year, AL, NL. I'm going to go AL. Actually, no. JP, you do this one first. Oh, um, I I have a hard time looking at the American League and thinking of anybody besides Mike Trout. I I know that that's like a lazy. I don't know if it's even lazy, but I just think it's it's not a lazy. It's just that obvious. I mean, (laughs) Mike Trout is is consistently one of the best players in baseball, if not the best player every single year. And I possibly ever. Yeah. Yeah. He's already one of the best players ever and he's, you know, not even 30. So I, I want to say, I want to say trout. I, I just, you can't really ignore all of the, no. And I don't plan to, in fact, uh, nationally, that's more, that's more tough. I feel like the national league, um, Oh man. Uh, I have, I I really am a fan of Anthony Rendon. In fact, I think he's uh, he had a statistically better season than Nolan Arenado. Um, he's going into contract year. Yes, I did say Rendon. Uh, I think, um, you know, he's he's shown a, a pretty consistent growth as a player. And I think that, um, his strides as a hitter, his strides as a defender, um, and the most recent jump, um, by looking at, um, metrics, um, that I've got in front of me is that he became a much better base runner. Um, and so I think he's been able to round his game into a form that, um, will have him surprise some people. I like that pick. How about you, John? All right, I have mine um, for the um, 
for the National League, it'll be um, Ronald Acuna. Oh, oh. And for the American League, it'll be Francisco um, Lindor. Oh. All right. Max? Okay. Uh, American League, Mookie Betts. Kidding, 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 kidding. It's Yankee Podcast. Uh, American League. <laughs> We're looking for a fourth host if anyone is looking for an opportunity. Um, American League, I will go with um, Jose Altuve. Jeez, Max. Uh, not a fan of that one. You're not. What are you? Okay. You're what about joke. your National League? National League. Uh, Juan Soto. Juan Soto. All right, I like that one. With May Machado coming in second. <laughs> Boom. That, that doesn't right. matter, actually. Um, so, most valuable Padre. <laughs> Andrew, um, what are yours? I'm going to sound pretty not controversial here, which is. Aaron Judge is going to get my AL vote. Just, I think he's due. And I think, like I said on the first episode, I think he's going to hit over 300. I think he's going to hit 45 home runs, 130 RBIs, that kind of season. Yeah, Granted, that everything cool. I touch turns to shit, so I'm crossing my fingers. Uh, and I, I think, think in the end, if, if everything that. turns to the shit, they say Mookie. All right, Max, I still have some self-respect, so I can't really <laughs> lie about that. Um, and I think in the NL, it's time that we give Nolan Arenado the respect that he deserves. And I think he will. Nolan Arenado will never win. I think he's going to do course, it. And the writers are stupid. Well, I think he's going to hit. He, he's he's due for like a, a Mookie season last year. He's been robbed a couple times. Yeah. I'll say that. I love Nolan Arenado. But I just don't think. You know, with all due respect to my friend John here, I don't think it'll be one of the two most overrated or two of the most overrated players in the league by the names of Ronald Acuna. Acuna is overrated and and completely, literally, so absurd. Ronald Acuna is not overrated. The three most overrated players in the league right now are Acuna, Altuve, and Yelich. So. That's my take. Pretty sure he OPS that a thousand last year. As all right, so now last voicemail for the day until we get to some more next episode. Here we go. Hello, this is Brendan from Easton, and I have a question for Andy. I was wondering how you feel about your team's performance in the postseason. They had a pretty strong regular season, I will admit. But when it came time for the postseason, they just couldn't get it done, uh, especially with that big loss uh, in one of their games as well. How do you feel they're going to bounce back from that? Thank I don't you. like this guy. All right, so for a fair bit of transparency, Brendan from Easton is a good friend of mine from school who admittedly is a fan of the Boston Red Sox, if you couldn't take it from that voicemail. Now, Brendan has some good intentions, and I don't know his real intentions with this voicemail, if he was trying to get a rise out of me, if he was trying to get a rise out of my buddies here. But, you know, Brendan... I think the Yankees are going to be just fine. And I think there's something else that we have to realize about the New York Yankees as well, that they they don't cling on to, to petty losses to somebody, to, to a team that has such institutional failure for such a long time. I mean, the New York Yankees, you know, need I not remind you, have the most world champions of any sport in in sports history or any team in sports history, rather. That's 27. The Red Sox would have to win 19 or 18 consecutive World Series just to tie the New York Yankees. That's remarkable. 18 consecutive World Series just to tie the New York Yankees. 27 World Series. I think that alone and the additions that we've made. I think we're good in that regard. I think the pairing of 
the additions that we've made in the offseason and the fact that the New York Yankees have the most World Series out of any team in the MLB, which is 27. I think that pairing. Yeah, that's no, by it's a by lot, lot too. It's, it's by what is it? 16 to the Cardinals. That's at 11. It's by a yeah. lot. We yeah, said, it's by, said, it's oh, by I a think lot. They're gonna be fine. And I don't give a shit who ran us off our own field last year. It could have been. I don't, again, I don't give a shit. Alexander the Great could have come storming through the gates of Yankee Stadium last year and ran them off the field. I don't give a shit. The New York Yankees will be fine. They have won 27 World Series and they're going to win the 28th on this year. That's what I have to say. I think it's funny because you have Boston fans who will be like, oh, well, you only won, you know, X number of wins, uh, next X number of rings after the Great Depression, which is still higher than the number that yeah, the Red Sox have ever like won as a franchise. After but then they the turn Depression. around and are, are gloating about how how they they won I, in that's spring training. Like dumb 15 year olds oh, on that, Twitter do that when they, they they just learned about it and they in their freshman year history. Yeah, they learned about it in their freshman year history class about like the, the stock market crash and the great depression and blah 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 they're like oh this is gonna be so funny i can't wait to own people on twitter with this blah, 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 blah. i got i got peas in my brain i mean yeah, it, it also doesn't matter because about your time frames either I, I care so little about your time frame because they, they still happened they still happened just because i didn't buy a fucking ticket just because i wasn't there just because you know i wasn't cheering them on from the living you can't change yeah, history change history Let's talk about how the Red Sox are the last the last team to sign a black player. And the Yankees, I think, had how many World's Perrys in that time frame? Thirteen, I think, around there. Something like that. Whatever it was is more than so, the Red Sox have ever yeah. won. Like ever. But thank you, Brendan, for your concern for my New York Yankees. But I think they're gonna be just fine. <laughs> I agree. I think. Yeah, I'm not. Lion doesn't <laughs> concern himself with the opinion yeah. of a sheep. I think also, I if you look at it from a pure, non-emotional perspective, um, the Yankees made improvements where the Red Sox resigned their World Series heroes and then lost two of their uh, two of their best relievers. And so, I think, on the whole, I think the Yankees end up. If you just look at the changes on paper, I think they end up as a better team by adding LeMahieu, Adovino, um, re-adding Britain, um, a full season of Hap, a full um, replacing that revolving door at fifth starter uh, by adding James Paxton as well is is much better than just resigning Nate Evaldi and so, Steve Pierce. On that note, we will let you guys go. We're going to wrap this up. Thank you all for joining us for the third episode of the Core Four Podcast. We're looking forward to many more. We're looking forward to your voicemails. We're looking forward to your DMs. We're looking forward to your feedback and the replies everywhere. You know, talk to us on our normal accounts. Talk to the podcast account. Like, rate, subscribe, all that good stuff. Five stars, obviously. Um, tell your friends, retweet, all that good stuff. Thank you guys for the support so far. It's been astounding. Despite today's rain out, the Yankees have plenty of exciting baseball to come. Wednesday, they take on the Detroit Tigers in Lakeland. Chance Adams will get the start for the Yankees. He was supposed to relieve today. Um, obviously, we'll start tomorrow to get his pitching in. Albert Abreu, who was originally announced as the starter, uh, will come in in relief. 
A bunch of regulars will be headed to Lakeland along with Chance Adams and Alberta Abreu. Uh, DJ LeMahieu will play second base, even though he was supposed to um, have his introduction to third base uh, Tuesday against the Phillies, uh, along with Austin Romine. Catching Miguel Andujar at third base, Glaber Torres will play shortstop, Clint Frazier in left field, Aaron Hicks in center, Luke Voigt at first base, and Greg Bird will DH in Lakeland. Thursday, they take on the Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, returning home to Tampa. Jay Happ will make his first start of the spring, and Friday against the Orioles as the calendar flips to March. Aaron Boone says that Gary Sanchez is expected to make his return. It's unclear who he will be uh, responsible for behind the plate, but it will be great to have the Kraken uh, back in the lineup. Thank you for listening to the Core 4 podcast. You'll hear from us again very, very soon. Thank you.